0: God, you keep our hope alive. You are the light that shines in the darkness. Shine on us, O God, so that we might be seen and learn how to truly see. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise in body or spirit for our first song. of standing in the power of Christ means standing before Christ honest, honest with the ways we mess up, honest with the ways that we fail. So today we come together as we always do in worship to say together the prayer of admission, admitting that we are not God, that we hurt, that we mess up, but God gives us second chances. Thanks be to God for that. Let us pray together the prayer found in your program. God, we struggle with who you are. We like to take the worst parts of our world and use them to describe you, vengeful, greedy, exclusive, hateful. Forgive us, God, and help us to see you, our Christ, in a new way, so that we might be new people, your people. Friends, each week we remember Jesus. We remember the one who forgave us while he was hanging on that cross, that cross that we put him on unjustly. He, he stood there hanging and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Friends, we still don't know what we are doing and we are still forgiven, called to forgive. We are loved, called to love. Let us live at peace with God and with one another. Amen.
1: want to direct your attention to the classifieds in your program and also uh, to the blog online. We have a lot of fun things happening in January. And then keep your eyes peeled for our Lent. Um, It's about to be rolled out in a few weeks. Today we begin a sermon series called What Do We Believe? And you can see it laid out on the back of your program. It's based off of the curriculum that Pastor Lucas put together for our confirmation class, the youth that explore these deep questions of faith, and then at the end, write their own faith statement that goes before the session to join the church. And when a few adults uh, figured out what the, what the youth were talking about, they said, hey, Don Lucas, when are you going to have confirmation for adults? We decided to take it a step further. So we're opening up the great questions of our faith for the whole community. And the goal is not that we would get to the end of this and all agree on a checklist of beliefs. That is not the goal. The goal is for us to get curious, to spark conversation, and hopefully to deepen our faith. So you'll see there's um, space for you to take notes if you'd like. Um, And if you want at the end to take pen and paper and write down what you believe, uh, that'd be cool, but it's not assigned homework. The first question is, who is Christ? Christ. And we answer that question by looking at scripture. Listen now as I read the gospel according to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Titles. You and I, we rely on titles in our language Especially when we're first introduced to someone, hey, this is Peter, my brother. Or hey, this is the queen. Or this is my partner, my boo, my significant other. Titles are one of the quick ways that we communicate with one another. Titles tell us relationship. They can um, show us a certain level of respect. Like this is Dr. Parker. When I see that prefix, when I hear it, I know that person has attended medical school and I might want to ask just a few more questions to know exactly what kind of medical expertise I can expect from them. But that title of doctor alone it gives me an idea of what I can expect. Titles can convey trust. But as with anything, they can also be abused. Sometimes when we have a title and we get used to a certain level of authority, we can forget how our action or inaction affects those around us. Titles can be exclusive. Think about it. When you give uh, the title champion to a basketball team, that is at the expense of all the other basketball teams that didn't earn that title. Titles can be positive on one hand. She's valedictorian. He's a go-getter. They can also be negative. She's an alcoholic. He's a hoarder. Titles are given and received. Some wanted, some not. Titles can can get to be about as complex as human being themselves. And we have to remember that one title is never going to sum up all of who a human is. So we should remember that when we look at the title given to Jesus. In the introductory verse, the first gospel we know of recorded, the gospel of Mark, the answer to this question, who is Christ, is answered here. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I said titles can convey a great deal of respect and honor, and that's exactly what this one does here. In fact, this whole line, the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God, it was a common announcement in first century Palestine. Anytime a king would conquer a land, a decree would come out in this way, the good news of Caesar, son of God. That address gave honor to the king, and it also created an expectation among the people for some victorious announcement. Some announcement that our nation, our king, has prevailed. In Caesar's time, the good news of the king, the son of God, always came at the expense of another nation. Good news! We have expanded our territory. We have put our flag in the ground. We have conquered others. Sending out that announcement was a way to manage the narrative, to boost the king's ratings, to increase national pride. So y'all, this line in the Gospel of Mark is a direct dig at Caesar. It's a political statement. And it's not political in terms of parties. It is claiming this title reserved for the king and giving it to Jesus. And it's important to recognize that even though Jesus is introduced in this way, he doesn't ask for this title. In fact, throughout the gospel, when people call Jesus the son of God, after he does something miraculous, he shushes them. He quiets them. He tells them not to say a thing. It's interesting to me that the first, first ones to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, it's not a human. It's not one of his friends or one of his disciples. It's actually an unclean spirit. In Mark 3, verse 11, the first to recognize Jesus as the Son of God are unclean spirits, demons. And when they see Jesus, they fall to the ground and they shout out, you are the son of God. And curiously, Jesus allows this. He doesn't allow the humans to call him son of God, but the unclean spirits, they're allowed to shout as loud as they want. You are the son of God. I've been wondering about that this week. Why would Jesus be okay with unclean spirits shouting who he is, but not his closest friends, his disciples? Perhaps. Perhaps one of the reasons why is that Jesus knows our human tendency to draw lines. Like if Jesus heals a blind man, then we may assume that Jesus is the son of God for those who are blind, period. Or say he heals a Gentile. Of course he does. Then he is the son of God for the Gentiles. When what Jesus is trying to teach us still today is that he is the son of God for all people. He is the liberator for all. The title son of God, it's used in the gospel of Mark to get at this zero-sum game we play. The zero sum game, it's inevitable once you're in human skin, we all do it. Some win, others lose. We do it all the time. So how mysterious and how wonderful that God chooses to take on human skin in Jesus and then in human skin, he refuses to play our game. Jesus didn't come for one people, but for all people. Jesus came for the whole world. Jesus didn't just come to redeem one nation in first century AD. He came to redeem all creation for all time, even those who are yet to be born. Jesus did not come as good news for us, but as good news for everyone, for those we love and those nobody loves. This is the mystery of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Son of God, it's a title that's synonymous with Messiah, which means divinely anointed. We know that Jesus is divinely anointed at his baptism. Just a few verses after what we read in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus goes to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist, and he hears the voice of God saying, This is my beloved my son with whom I am well pleased. Now we know Jesus is the son of Mary, a human, right? And she's of a priestly line. And then he's the son of Joseph, who's from the king of David, a king line. But it's his relation to God the creator that makes him anointed. Because he is the son of God, he's able to forgive sin on behalf of God. Because he's the son of God, he's able to heal people on behalf of God. And because he is the son of God, he can liberate on behalf of God. Jesus doesn't have to fight for his kingdom because it's already his. But we miss the message because often we fight him. What else should we know about Jesus? We need to remember that he's from Nazareth, which is a nowhere town. Nobody important comes out of Nazareth. Jesus is a figure in history. Apart from what we know in the Christian church and what we believe about him, he is a public figure in recorded history. He's a political figure that rose to um, the public eye at age 30. He had a short public ministry recorded where he healed and he taught And then he was executed, along with millions of others of Jews, by crucifixion, which is an execution method meant to torture the person for a while before they die. Jesus never married. He never had any kids. He never held a job that we know of. Jesus never wrote a thing, even though lots was written about him. Jesus was a curious kid in the temple, He asks really good questions, and so he earned the respect of scholars quickly. Jesus heals. Jesus teaches. Jesus is a threat to the Roman Empire. Jesus is a complex dude. He challenges those of us who are comfortable. He comforts those who are challenged, and he is a companion with all of us who walk this world and then walk on to the next. In fact, if you were going to remember just three things about Jesus— I'd give you these three Cs. Jesus is our challenge. Jesus is our comfort. Jesus is our companion. We know that Jesus challenged those who were eager to meet him. He challenges us because we, like them, often get it wrong in playing a zero-sum game. N.T. Wright puts it really well when he says that we expect a builder to come build our dream home And Jesus is an architect already designing for our needs. He also says this, Jesus, we expect Jesus to be a singer who's gonna come sing the tune that we've been humming when Jesus is a composer drafting a completely new song. Jesus is our challenger in that he will surprise us that we do not have him figured out. And Jesus is also our comfort. Last week, I got a phone call from a church member, and she wanted me to pray with her after what she had seen. She was at home, and she saw a a sanitation worker run across her front lawn. And she said, you know, Dawn, that wasn't out of the norm. They're very efficient workers. They move really quickly. But there was something about his sprint that was urgent, So she got up and she went to the front door and when she looked outside, there was another sanitation worker seizing on the ground in her front lawn. So she went outside and they called for an ambulance and both she and the other sanitation worker, they took his hands and they told him that they were there with him and that help was on its way. And it took a while for the ambulance to come. And so other workers were coming and somebody in a truck came and pulled right up and got out of his car. Grown man ran to the man on the ground, got down horizontal on the ground and cradled him in his arms. That image cradling In his arms, it stuck with me as it stuck with her because it points to the love of Jesus. God's movement in Jesus towards us that challenges all our social boundaries of what's right and what's not to get close, to hold us and steady us. Jesus is our comfort, our companion. Jesus is God's movement toward us into human skin, human experience. Jesus is the way to know God. He is the son of God. Jesus is our challenge, our comfort, our companion. And for that we say, thanks be to God. Amen. As the musicians come, come up on stage, I want to just share a little bit about the song you're about to hear. It's an impactful song when you hear these words and imagine God singing them to you. But I think it's important to remember the personal context. The writer of this song, Ellie Holcomb, wrote this song for her teenage daughter who was experiencing anxiety. And so again, it is the movement of God into our human flesh so that we can better understand how deep God's love for us.
2: see it in your eyes All oh, that anxiety that fools your mind I'll be your shield when you don't feel like you got strength enough to fight I'll stand by your side. So
0: Jesus, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Son of God, Lord of all creation. We don't know exactly what to call you, but we know that when we call, you listen. When we fall, you carry us and lift us up. As we stand before you, God, you see us, you see all of us the places of pride and the places of shame, the places we show in the places we hide. God, we have so much to be thankful for, for community, for a new day, for family and friends, for all the blessings we have. And still, God, we ask for your help. We ask for a help for an end to war. We ask ask for your help to shelter the unhoused, for companionship for the lonely, for freedom for the oppressed, for hope for the hopeless. Carry us all, God. Equip us to be of use, God, use not for our own glory, but for the glory of your kingdom, the kingdom whose king is unlike any other, the humble king who taught us to pray, sang together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever amen I invite you to rise and body or spirit as we affirm what we believe which is something that we do every week in church as a response to the sermon And normally we do it from the Apostles' Creed, but that is just one of the many confessions that we in the Presbyterian Church hold dear. So throughout this sermon series, we're going to be pulling from different confessions to look at the ways that different faithful leaders in history have claimed to know Jesus. So today we're pulling from the confession of 1967. So if you fumble your way through it, that's fine, because I might do the same. So God, or church, what is it that we believe? In Jesus of Nazareth, true humanity was realized once for all. Jesus, a Palestinian Jew, lived among his own people and shared their needs, temptations, joys, and sorrows. He expressed the love of God in word and deed and became a brother to all kinds of sinful men and women. But his complete obedience led him into conflict with his people. His life and teaching judged their goodness religious aspirations and national hopes. Many rejected him and demanded his death and giving himself freely for them, he took upon himself the judgment under which everyone stands convicted. God raised him from the dead, vindicating him as Messiah and Lord. The victim of sin became victor and won the victory over sin and death for all. The risen Christ is the savior of all people. Those joined to him by faith are set right with God and commissioned to serve as God's reconciling community. Christ is the head of this community, the church, which began with the apostles and continues through all generations. I invite you to remain standing for our final song.
1: Jesus Christ is the Son of God, our challenge, our comfort, our companion. So as we go from this time of worship, may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the interruption of that Holy Spirit may be with you, and with all those you love, and with all those nobody loves, go in God's peace. Amen.
0: If you feel compelled to support the church financially, you can give a secure gift online at downtownchurch.me forward slash go.